When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Lexicon Valley is brought to you by The Great Courses Plus, a new video learning service with more than 5,000 lectures. As a member of The Great Courses Plus, you can watch as many lectures as you want, anytime, anywhere, on any device. For a limited time, Lexicon Valley listeners can watch The Fundamentals of Photography for free by visiting thegreatcoursesplus.com slash lexicon. And by Headspace. If you've ever been curious about meditation or would like to reacquaint yourself with the practice, then go to headspace.com slash lexicon and try the Take 10 program. It's guided meditation for 10 days, 10 minutes a day, absolutely free. Give it a try at headspace.com slash lexicon. From Washington, D.C., this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm Bob Garfield with Mike Volo, and today, episode number 77, a new installment of Linguophile, wherein we discuss a mystery word or phrase with lexicographer Ben Zimmer. Hey, Mikey. Hey, Bobby. How you doing, buddy? Splendid. Thank you. And your own self? I'm great. I'm great. Ben, how are you, and what is our clue? I'm doing just fine, and uh, I've got an interesting clue for you. It's a bit cryptic, shall we we'll, say. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> we'll be the judges of that. Okay. We're looking for a two-word phrase, and the first word is two letters, second word is seven letters. But if you move the space between the words over a couple of letters, it becomes another two-word phrase, a phrase meaning... An old Peruvian laughs derisively. So if you can figure out... (laughs) Okay. It's a little more convoluted than our usual clues. Okay, so Inca... There you go. Mike got the first part. Laughs derisively. Like sneers. Inca sneer. Inca in... Okay, Inca hoots. There you go. You guys make such a great team. In cahoots becomes in cahoots. I should say that I I actually stole this clue from a cryptic crossword by Emily Cox and Henry Rathbon. It appeared in the New York Times a few years ago. I thought it was a a nice way to uh, introduce this word, or two-word phrase, I should say, because we never use cahoots on its own. You're always in cahoots, very often in cahoots with someone. Yeah, and Bob, I'll leave it to you to tell us what in cahoots means. Well, you're conspiring with... Very simple. You are in this plot. You are cahooting with him. Are you in cahoots with the lady in there? What's this cahoots? Sounds awful. Cahoots. A conspiracy. But what is the cahoot that you're in? <laughs> exactly. That's the question. That's the question. <laughs> yes, what constitutes 
Cahootitude. Cahootitude, yes. Well, this is another listener suggestion. This one comes to us from Ryder Kessler via Twitter. He wrote in a series of tweets, he said, Today I was walking through New York City with my mom when we saw two guys in their underwear dancing, shouting, and soliciting money in Union Square. Okay, just a typical New York scene. Anyway, Ryan goes on, She thought one was moving in on the other's territory. I said, they must be in cahoots. That got me thinking, what are cahoots? I don't know what those guys were. They were something. <laughs> now, are, were they in cahoots or were they in underpants? I'm confused about this. I think of in cahoots as conspiring to do something more nefarious than just panhandling, which it sounds like they were doing, right? Well, maybe they were giving the appearance that they weren't together, but they were really working some sort of scam where they were trying to distract you. Or I don't know. I don't know. Could be a big confidence you game. Know. Mutually going trouserless is pretty much of a red flag. Uh, if you're trying to persuade people that you are acting independently, you... <laughs> one of you wear pants and the other one. Don't. Yeah, one guy has to wear pants. It's just otherwise, yeah, red flag. It's too much of a giveaway. Although, to be fair, it was New York City, and yeah, you know. I mean, underwear guys are walking around all the time, so you never know. I should say that the first time my older children saw New York. We came out of the Lincoln Tunnel, and there stood a woman, pretty attractive young woman. And what distinguished her from others was, first of all, that she was standing at the mouth of the Lincoln Tunnel, which is not a high pedestrian traffic area. And the other is that she was wearing um, a lovely blouse, high heels, and absolutely nothing else. <laughs> Daddy... Daddy, that lady. <laughs> Maybe she was in cahoots with these other two guys. Could be. She may have been. Although I think she was out of cahoots with everybody. <laughs> uh, that was my sense, and I yeah. think it was also my explanation. Okay, so in cahoots, in what time period might we place this word? I'm going to go with a relatively modern 20th century origin here. Bob? I'm going to go 16th century French Hmm, interesting. Well, we'll get back to a possible French origin. That's interesting. You suggested it. But maybe if we average the time periods you two have suggested, 16th century, 20th century, 20, well, it's actually early 19th century. Again, it's that Jacksonian era, you know, starting in, say, the mid to late 1820s. We've talked about this before. It was this really fertile time for the American language. And so... The first example that we have comes from 1827, but it's not exactly the same. It's not in cahoots. Back then, it was in cahoot, singular. All of the early examples that we have for about 30 years are of that Sounds form. Sounds a little bit like inchoate. A little bit, but I think that might be a red herring. So we have in cahoot, singular, just one cahoot, which could be spelled usually C-A-H-O-O-T, sometimes cohoot, C-O-H-O-O-T. Spelling was so fluid, it seems, back then. We always find out that these words were spelled like five different ways. That's not really true anymore. Things have certainly settled down. But, I mean, if you think about a weird word like cahoot entering the language, and as we'll see, it wasn't clear even then where that word was coming from, then, yeah, we'll see a lot of variation in spelling because people will have their own versions of it, uh, certainly also regional variations as it spreads around the country. Especially for transliterations. I, I mean, I don't know how many spellings there are 
for kebab, but <laughs> it's a big number. And so what was this very first citation that we have of in Kahoot? Well, it appeared in the Augusta Chronicle of Augusta, Georgia. Very often in those days, stories were presented as if they were actual true narratives, but they were just sort of fanciful tales that would appear in newspapers. And we don't know exactly who wrote it. The byline simply says, The Wanderer. <laughs> the Wanderer was writing a series of little vignettes about a colorful character in Georgia named Barney Blinn. So this was the second in, in the series. The first one introduced this colorful character. And in the second one, we have our narrator stopping by a backwoods town. He sees some men gathered outside a saloon. And he's a little worried because they're kind of eyeing him suspiciously as an outsider. But fortunately, then he sees someone he knows, Barney Blinn. The narrator explains he was a candidate for the legislature, and his pepper and salt homespun coat, high crowned hat, and clean linen shirt clearly proved it. He was a backwoods guy, but sort of a step above the rabble, I suppose, and you could tell that he was a local political figure. And then he says, the men began a slang-wanging about politics. Wait, that's, that's back <laughs> up to that slang Is that like a slanging? <laughs> yeah, right. Something like that. What the uh, heck is a slang-wanging? You know, it's just a way of uh, jawing, just a <laughs> freewheeling discussion, I suppose. No, I don't know. I've never used that term, but I think Bob's right. It does kind of recall the <laughs> schlonging that Donald Trump used recently. Well, we might call Donald Trump a slang-wanger. I think that might be a good term for him. Okay, so a blustery, bloviating kind of guy. Yeah, uh, so a slang-wanger has been defined as an abusive speaker or someone who's obnoxiously offensive, but it's just a vituperation, let's say, is slang-wanging would be speaking in this sort of very loud style. Well, that certainly does describe Donald Trump. <laughs> there you go. So we have a new sobriquet for Mr. Trump, the slang-wanger. So then Barney Blinn delivers a stump speech. The crowd is already kind of riled up at this point. They're upset about the government. This was actually during the John Quincy Adams administration. Jackson would soon be elected uh, in 1828. But at the time, people in Georgia were upset about what John Quincy Adams had done by overturning a treaty that had been signed between the state of Georgia and the Creek Nation. And you can guess what kind of treaty this was. It was a treaty that basically said the Creek Nation was going to give up the rest of their land to the state of Georgia and they would just have to move on. So John Quincy Adams had said that basically the Creek Nation had been coerced into agreeing to this treaty. And so he said, no, this is a federal matter anyway. The state of Georgia isn't allowed to, to make this kind of treaty, so it's no good. It's hard to imagine anyone agreeing to such terms under anything other than coercion. Yeah, exactly. But just to sort of set the scene politically, people in Georgia were saying that this was an intrusion from the government, all the sort of antebellum Southern arguments about states' rights and uh, these Yankees who were intruding on our affairs. So here is how Barney Blinn's stump speech starts. He says, Afore I begin the preambulation of what I am going for to say, I'll just mention by way of introjection that I hate the present ministration as I do a polecat. So you have this funny, high-flying, yet backwards kind of rhetoric coming out of his mouth with uh, kind of made-up words sounding pretty silly in the process. Which raises the question for me before you go on, Ben. Is this anonymous author, The Wanderer, 
is he satirizing this southern small town political culture? Is he affiliated with it? Like, what are his sympathies? Well, it seems to me that he's writing from the perspective of a city person. This is appearing in the Augusta paper. So the city folk would make fun of the backwoods folk in Georgia, perhaps teasing their more rustic compatriots out there in the, in the backwoods of Georgia. All right. We will be back in just a moment. Lexicon Valley is brought to you this week by The Great Courses Plus. It's a video learning service with a vast library of thousands of lecture series. One of their most popular courses is called The Fundamentals of Photography. It's taught by Joel Sartori, who has been a National Geographic photographer for decades. He's been around the world many times over, shooting on every continent. This is a 24-lecture course that normally costs $235, but it's available for a limited time for free at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash lexicon. Photography, of course, is one of those art forms that is also a common hobby because anyone can do it, right? All you need is a camera, and it's fun. And we all get lucky with a magical photo now and then, but few of us can do it consistently well. Three of Sartori's 24 lectures are on lighting alone, and then a fourth lecture deals with low-light situations. So this gives you an idea of just how important light is to good picture-taking. So if you're interested in photography, you should really check out this course. It is free, really free, for Lexicon Valley listeners if you visit thegreatcoursesplus.com slash lexicon. Okay, back to Barney Blinn, who is in the middle of his very eloquent stump speech. The expression in cahoots, or I guess in cahoot, is coming up, I would imagine, Ben. Yeah. Here again, he's talking about the government intrusion from the Yankees. He said, I haven't read newspapers for nothing. General government and the administration are going in cahoot to undermine and overrule the undertakings of the free people of Georgia. So wait, who exactly is in cahoots here? General government and the administration? Yeah. So the, the little joke here is that he's taking general government, you know, as in the general government, and treating it as if it's a real person named general government. Ah, uh, gotcha. Right. And then the administration, administration short for administration, referring to the Adams administration. May I just revise and amend for a moment? My definition a few minutes ago was conspiracy, plain and simple. But actually, it's not just a conspiracy because many conspiracies take place entirely in the shadows. But I think what distinguishes cahoots from other conspiracies is that it often takes place before our eyes, where there is one person who, you know, let's just say a snake oil salesman and somebody in the audience who is really an associate of the snake oil salesman. And wait, is he dancing in his underwear or no? Uh, he is giving testimony in favor of the snake oil. Oh, okay. Magicians may have somebody or, or supposed psychics may have somebody in the audience with whom they are in cahoots. But the whole idea is that they appear to be unconnected, but in fact they are secretly a team. Right. And that seems more particularly cahootish than other conspiracies. And we could imagine that's what's being described here with these government machinations that the Georgia backwoods folk are, are up in arms about. So this example, and I don't know if there are other early examples that are 
significantly different from this one, but this example doesn't necessarily shed any etymological light on this word for me. I don't have any sense based on that usage where it comes from or what its component parts are about kahoot. It doesn't really tell us much about the etymology, it's true, but the fact that it's taking place in the backwoods of Georgia is interesting and you know may help us piece together where this is coming from ultimately. Right, and the fact that the wanderer is putting it in the mouth of a man who has already spoken a number of mispronunciations and malapropisms might suggest that this is of that kind, right? That there is a word similar to this or that it's simply a backwoods expression? I think it's a backwoods expression because we see other early examples where it's being given as an example of a provincialism that you would want to avoid. There's an early example from a book called English Grammar in Familiar Lectures by Samuel Kirkham. It was first published in 1829 and had you know, subsequent editions in the 1830s. Kirkham gives this example. He says, he's in cahoot with me, and it is corrected to he is in partnership with me. That is the proper way to say that. Okay, so cahoot means partnership, but again, that fact doesn't necessarily get us any closer to where this word comes from. Is that information coming? (laughs) We're going to entertain some theories, but I think it's important to sort of sketch out the early evidence so that we can really judge the theories and and how persuasive you might find them by knowing exactly where this word first appears. So we've got Augusta, Georgia. We've got other examples from the 1830s and 1840s, also in Georgia, also very often from rural speakers using this kind of dialect writing, which became more and more popular. You know, if we think about dialect writing... Perhaps the most, you know, famous example of that, of course, would be Mark Mark Twain. Twain. Yeah, writing Huckleberry Finn. Mark Twain had a number of predecessors who wrote in dialect writing, and one of them was named William Tappan Thompson, who actually influenced Twain's writing. He was a newspaper man based in Savannah. And in one collection of stories published in 1845, of stories that had appeared earlier, There's a story called The Mystery Revealed, where people in a small town are trying to figure out the identity of robbers. A fellow named Pete Hopkins is suspected of being an accomplice. Then a character named Sammy Stonestreet says, I knowed it. It's just as I expected. Them devils has got clean off after all. Pete Hopkins ain't no better, nor he should be, and I wouldn't swear he wasn't in cahoot with them. Some more dialect writing. I know how much you guys love when I uh, read these out. (laughs) I love it when you go country. It's just so poignant. I love it. Well, this example of in Kahoot actually was given in the first dictionary definition for Kahoot. In 1848, John Bartlett's Dictionary of Americanisms. And it's the first place that a definition appears for Kahoot. It gives this example from the Chronicles of Pineville by that writer, William Tappan Thompson. And then it gives a proposed etymology, the first time someone's actually speculating about where this word came from. And John Bartlett says, probably from cohort, a Spanish mm. and French. So he's saying, you know, the Spanish or French versions of that word cohort, the cognates in those languages, could have introduced this word, kahoot. I immediately like it. I'm not skeptical. I'm a little skeptical. (laughs) I'm surprised, Bob, that neither you nor I made that connection. I'm I'm a little surprised, too. I feel a little stupid. On the other hand, when I think of cohort, I think of a group of people with Mm. a mutual characteristic. Right. Uh, The cohort of redheads, the cohort of baby boomers, the cohort of 
clinically depressed radio producers, you know, that sort of thing. Such is the nature of language change, right? You can imagine, and it's not too hard of a leap to make, that in the kind of backwoods areas of Georgia, cohort might mutate to Kahoot with a slightly different definition about the way in which those people were connected or the number of people that were connected. I mean, you could be in Cahoots with multiple people. It doesn't have to be just one other person, right? I think that's an interesting point. And actually, John Bartlett kind of addresses that. He says that the French version of this word, which I guess would be pronounced co-aut, that this word was defined as a company or a band. He also explained that this word was used at the south and west of the United States to denote a company or union of men for a predatory excursion and sometimes for a partnership in business. But when we think of people being in cahoots, as Bob said, it's typically we're thinking of two people in a particular kind of collaboration or partnership, very often for shady reasons, right? So it still might be a bit of a leap just to get from that larger company, the cohort idea, to just two people being in cahoot or cahoots. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that when you're in the process of connecting the dots of a conspiracy, you might say that X is in cahoots with Y, but you might also then, once the full picture comes into view, say that they are in cahoots, all of them, with each other. I knew it! You're all in cahoots! That's him, boys! He's in cahoots with the evil pickle cop killers, cucumber crushers, vinegar violets, destroyers! Why, it's just not kosher! After talking things over, we have decided not to take part in your diabolical plan. Consider us no longer in cahoots. Uh, possibly, possibly. But yeah, I mean, if we think even back to the two guys in their underwear, think of two people in cahoots, that's typically the, you know prototypical idea, I think. If you boys don't stop bickering, <laughs> I'm going to turn this car around and there will be no vacation. Well, you know, I think those two guys in their underwear, they were probably in cahoots with the singing cowboy in oh, Times Square, who is also <laughs> in his underwear. Right. Well, in any case, we've got this cohort idea being suggested in 1848. But then a few other etymologies have been proposed over the years. And I will let you judge if any of these make any more sense than Bartlett's idea that it came from cohort. Excuse me, yeah. Ben. Is this Bartlett the same Bartlett from Familiar Quotations? Same name, John Bartlett as the quotations guy. But this was an earlier John Bartlett who wrote the Dictionary of Americanisms in 1848. So 40 years after that, the Oxford English Dictionary came out with its definition of cahoot. In 1888, they were releasing what was then called the New English Dictionary, N-E-D. They would later call it the O-E-D. And in the entry for Kahoot, it notes the Bartlett etymology of cohort, but says it's probably from another French word that's spelled C-A-H-U-T-E. So in French, that would be pronounced something like Kahoot. And that word means a cabin or a hut. Wait, and so it just seems odd to me that they would raise the etymological possibility that Bartlett suggests and say, no, we think it's this, but right. why? Why do they think it's the H-U-T-E French word as opposed to the cohort one? Well, this word had entered Scots English, sort of the Scottish dialect of English, as something that sounded pretty similar to cahoot, referring to a cabin. It could also be the cabin of a ship. 
So if you think about a cabinet that a king or a president has, that originally starts off meaning the private room where the advisors would meet, and then it becomes the people who would meet in a cabin or cabinet. This goes back to the 17th century under uh, King Charles I, I think, had the first cabinet council. So they thought it could have followed a similar semantic progression so that you could get from the idea of a cabin, a place perhaps where you would conspire, and then that could name the conspiracy itself. Okay. All right. Seems plausible again. <laughs> there are some holes in this one, though. I mean, we, we don't have any sort of direct connection between either the French or the Scottish versions of this word. Then again, there's no direct evidence for the cohort explanation either. Okay. Lexicon Valley is also brought to you this week by Headspace. Meditation, the actual daily routine of meditation, can be intimidating, really, for a lot of people because there's this sense of not knowing where to start, not knowing how even to start. Do yourself a favor and demystify meditation by trying the Take 10 program on Headspace. It's guided meditation for 10 days, just 10 minutes a day. And the voice guiding you through those 10 minutes each day is that of Andy Puttacombe. He's a co-founder of Headspace, and he makes it clear in the very first session that the goal is not necessarily to clear your mind or to turn off your mind or stop your thoughts, but rather to be present, to be still, and to be aware of your mind and your body. Doing that for just minutes every day can have tremendous benefits. And if clearing your mind is your goal, that can come later on with practice. Also, you have nothing to lose. The Take 10 program is free if you sign up at headspace.com slash lexicon. It's meditation made simple at headspace.com slash lexicon. Okay, back to in cahoots. We've heard now two etymological possibilities. Theory number three. So theory number three was put forth by a fellow named Leo Spitzer, who wrote an article about the word Kahoot for the journal American Speech in 1945. Spitzer was an Austrian philologist who had ended up at Johns Hopkins. And he ran through these different theories for it, and he had his own suggestion, another French word. And this one is spelled C-A-H-O-T, which could be anglicized as something like Cahot. That word originally referred to the jolt that you would get if you were riding in a carriage and you went over a bump. I'm glad that somebody <laughs> in some language has a word for that. Yeah. Sometimes that caho is felt right in your cojones. <laughs> so I guess this was a typical feeling that you would get if you were riding in carriages a lot. And it also came to refer to the pothole that might cause that jolting sensation. And there was a more metaphorical sense of it as a kind of a difficulty or an obstacle. And so we know that it entered English in this pothole meaning up in New England. Typically, if a road was covered with snow, you're going over it, whatever vehicle you're in lurches, they would call that a caho. Other names for that were a thank you, ma'am, or a kiss me quick. <laughs> they had a lot of names for this. So that French word had entered probably from, you know, French Canadians into New England as caho or caho. Can we back up a second to the thank you, ma'am, and the kiss me quick? Yeah. Is that suggesting that the lady companion in the carriage with you has somehow like 
fallen onto you or something? Yes, exactly. So this jolt in the carriage brings the two people together, and suddenly they find each other accidentally in each other's arms. So, Got it, got it. Happens to me all the time on the metro. <laughs> so perhaps that same French word, Spitzer suggests, might have entered English in that metaphorical meaning from French of a difficulty or an obstacle he says, well, maybe it's like he is in the pitch holes, like potholes, in the difficulties of business together with me. This seems the least plausible of the three theories so far. It just feels in like fact, wild conjecture. I think Spitzer was drunk. <laughs> this does not seem like the conclusion of an orderly mind. <laughs> well, you know, this French word did enter English, albeit from the north, as this word kahu, and kahu sort of sounds like kahoot. So, you know, he's grasping at straws just like everyone else, but he comes to a different conclusion. And then there's the other Canadianism that slipped over the border insidiously, invidiously, and that is Caillou, mm. which was a character in some <laughs> oh, you know, public television uh, preschooler show. Don't, don't even yeah, mention so that. I, I, <laughs> Canada's yeah. worst uh, export by far, yeah. Bieber excluded. <laughs> oh, well, that, that's true. So we've got three, and then a fourth one was proposed more recently in the 1990s. Frederick Cassidy, who was the longtime editor of the Dictionary of American Regional English, certainly an authority on such matters, he also wrote an article for American Speech in uh, 1993, and he thinks that perhaps this kahoot really does break down into ka plus hoot. With that ka beginning, C-A, as it's often spelled, or also C-O in some of the early spellings of this word. If it's C-O, then that would imply, like so many words beginning co, something uh, having to do with coming together from that Latin prefix, which we also see with com and con, mm -hmm. so that co plus hoot might be understood as people coming together and collaborating or conspiring or colluding, all those co words. But then that's added to hoot, well, what might hoot mean? We talked about hoot in the Hootenanny episode. One meaning for hoot that didn't come up, apparently, according to Cassidy, hoot was also an, an English dialectal word from the Cornish dialect in England, defined in the English dialect dictionary as business, affair, or concern. So uh. this starts to seem hmm, kind of interesting that yeah. we might have co plus hoot or... Even if the co is not the ultimate root, but it is actually more like ka spelled either C-A-K-A, that prefix shows up in lots of fanciful English words, ka or ker, as a kind of Kaboom. intensive form. Kaboom. There you go. Ka-ching. Ka-ching, yeah. Kerfuffle. Kerfuffle is an interesting one that has a Scottish root to it. Um, and so we have all these other examples often having to do with some sudden or unexpected noise or movement. If you can think of kerblam, kerflop, kerplunk, kerchunk. All of which appeared in Mad Magazine in the yeah. 70s and 80s, <laughs> from what I remember. And maybe also Batman used uh, some of these yeah. during the fight scenes. So we have this pattern developing in Scottish English. And then coming into American English right around the time that we're interested in, in the 1820s and 1830s. I like it. I like it. Did Cassidy piece this together himself? 
He did. He had already written uh, something about the intensive prefix cur, where he was piecing together these sort of the Scottish evidence and the early American evidence. And so he says, well, why, why can't this just go in with that pattern? Since people were coming up with all sorts of new creations of ca or cur plus some root. And sometimes it was onomatopoetic. Sometimes it was just a kind of an intensive thing without like any great meaning to it, but just something that you would put before another word. So why not ka plus hoot? You know, again, perhaps using this dialectal meaning of hoot where it referred to a business or a, an affair or a concern. I find it very persuasive. Yeah, I like that one too. It fits, again, it fits with this whole sort of pattern of word creation that was happening first with sort of Scottish dialects and then American dialects of English. Gotta say, guys, I'm personally disappointed at this turn of etymology because for a while there, I was feeling pretty proud of myself for having come up with that French association and or whatever the hell it was <laughs> I, I said. And uh, I was ready to, you know, to take a victory lap, but <laughs> now we're into Cornish. <laughs> and Scottish. And, yeah. uh, Man, that's uh, it's it's uh, dispiriting. Well, for me, I think the order of preference based on how persuaded I am is four, one, two, three. I really like this Cassidy explanation, and and I think unless there's any evidence to the contrary, that if somebody asks me where in cahoots comes from, I'm just going to tell them this. Well, <laughs> you mean you you are going to. You're going to take responsibility for making a judicial decision based on inconclusive evidence well, uh, about four theories of the crime? I think probably— That's, uh, That is some uh, hubris, my friend. Well, okay. What I would do is that I would lay out the caveat that there are other theories, but I don't necessarily need to go into what those other theories are. (laughs) They're all French-related, and we could probably dismiss them. But here is what the Dictionary of American Regional English guru Cassidy came up with, and it seems very likely. I like it. I'm going with it. Have you seen that Netflix documentary series, Making a Murderer? I have not. Well, uh, many of our listeners will have. All I can say is that you are to etymology what their district attorney was to prosecution. (laughs) You latch onto a theory and exclude all other possibilities, and someone is going to rot in jail who didn't necessarily (laughs) do the crime. Just saying is all. I don't know. It feels like the stakes are a little bit lower with what I'm doing here, but... Well, Bob, you can take solace in the fact that three out of the four theories did have a French origin. So even if Mike happens to like the fourth one better than those other three, you can choose your own. Well, maybe we should let our Georgian listeners help us settle this. If you are from Georgia, if you're from... Our august Georgian listeners? Yes, exactly. If you're from one of the more rural areas of Georgia, is this a word that you remember from your childhood? Is this a word your parents or grandparents used? And if so, do they have any theories as to where the word comes from? Please write to us with such theories at lexiconvalley at slate.com. That's lexiconvalley at slate.com. Please follow us on Twitter at lexiconvalley and subscribe to our feed in the iTunes store. Ben Zimmer is executive editor of vocabulary.com, where he will have more about the phrase in cahoots in his Word Roots column. Andy Bowers is our executive producer. 
You just wanted to uh, limit it to people from rural Georgia who could uh, chime in with their. Well, I'm <laughs> sure if yeah, anybody what has. About, a... uh, what about Maine? <laughs> well, what considering the, the rural Georgia connection is from, you know, nearly 200 years ago, <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> in fact, <laughs> all of you listeners from mid 19th century <laughs> Augusta, Georgia, who may be familiar with this. <laughs> just drop just, us a line. You just woken up from. Uh, yeah, fictional in, or otherwise. <laughs> if you're one of those characters from one of those stories, <laughs> write into us. Let us know. I've often asked you who our uh, listeners are, Mike. Now I know. It. To your way of thinking, they've been dead for 175 years. All right. Now are we done here? We are done. Later, Gators. I feel pretty, I feel pretty, pretty, I feel pretty silly, I feel pretty weird, really. I feel better now, Coochie sweater now, Gucci sweater now, Coochie sweater now. Who you calling the dandy? I love is like candy, the rich poor brandy. What do the poor pour? Why we at the candy store for? Why we at the Mandy Moore tour? Bandage or or the brand is your or the Lambie four time, the wartime, Andy Warhol, the war crime, Nancy Drew, Nancy who, Nancy Reagan in a fan. Fancy pantsuit, dancing bear in cahoots with the man who shot ya, 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 who shot you, who shot you, who shot you. La 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 la